This is Lee Jessup, and you are watching the TV Writer Podcast. I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast partner of Script Magazine, episode 124 for December 14th, 2021. Well, here I have the pleasure of being with Lee Jessup, who is an author, a career coach, and honestly, lots more than that. And we're going to hear about it in the interview today. Um, recently, she wrote Getting It Right, an insider's guide to a screenwriting career. And we're going to hear all about it today. How are you doing, Lee? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, I, I really love the fact that you early on decided that you were not going to be a screenwriter. And I want you to tell me about that and, and how you were able to make that decision so early. I got really lucky. I mean, honestly, it's not to say that anybody else should not want to be a screenwriter, but, you know, a lot of people come up and have dreams and chase that dream for a very, very long time. I started out young in production. My dad's a film producer. I grew up on movie sets. I grew up reading scripts, analyzing work, et cetera, et cetera. And so by the time I was 20, I was a production gypsy. I've gone back to back on shows and had something that I wanted to say or thought I wanted to say, or in the very least wanted to be a person who would want to have things to say. Um, and so I wrote a script. I was lucky in that I knew three producers. I sent it to them with this feeling of like, oh crap, if they don't like it, what do I do next? The first one indeed did not like it, hated it, called me, said so in many words. Um, the second one liked it and had some good things to say. And the third one called and said, I love this, we gotta set this up contracts, I take what they take, time, you know, time to write and whatnot. So by the time I was 23 years old, I was in development on the script with a director that William Morris at the time, now William WME, um, put on the show, and I hated every last second of it. I really did. Now, a lot of it is attributed to being 23 years old and maybe a little bit precious and maybe a little self-important. Um, but I really didn't want to be in the writer's shoes. I, I had a development exec that I was working with, that we were rewriting with, and I really wanted to be in the development exec's shoes. And I felt like that was more my strength. While I could write and clearly, you know, I was fortunate enough to have done a good enough job to put myself in a position where I discovered that this was not my thing, um, I really wanted to develop. To me, that was suddenly the fun thing, rather than being stuck, stuck being in one room with the director, taking notes that sometimes I liked and sometimes I hated, but having to figure it out, it didn't do it for me. I wanted to work with writers, I wanted to give ideas. And so from there, very quickly, I transitioned into development, talking again to producers that I knew um, about what I wanted to do next. Was there going to be another script? Not really, wasn't interested in that. Instead, I really wanted to go into development and succeeding early enough showed me that and allowed me to kind of make the shift elegantly enough as a young person already in the industry. Well, the, the reason I say I love that is because, um, and I've, I've mentioned a few times on this podcast before, but um, when we first started in, in film school, the professor asked around and every single person wanted to be a director. And you also hear everybody wants to be a screenwriter. And I think the reason is because those are the only careers that you hear about from outside the industry. And the, the fact that you can develop, nobody knows about what that means. Um, and, I, and I love the fact that you were able to discover very early that that was a very viable, creative place for you to be. Um, but you also chose not to go to college, which is, I mean, these days it's not very conventional to, to do that if you want uh, a career in film and television. Tell, tell me about that decision. So I grew up on film sets, right? I, I grew up watching film get made. Um, my father was the one guy in Hollywood to decide that nepotism doesn't work for us. So I had to very early on get out, get a job. My first movie was back then, AFI was giving out $250,000 grants to its kind of chosen student. Um, and so that was the first thing that I production coordinated. And from there on, I went to production coordinate and production manage. Um, and I was debating, right? Do I need to go to film school? Do I not? What do I do? What's the next step? And I actually ended up doing post-production on a feature, on a horror feature, with a director that just finished USC grad. And mind you, I was 17, 18. He was, I think, 26, 27. We became great friends and stayed friends for many, many years after, but I asked him whether he thought that I should go, whether I should make USC my target, my place, and he kind of said, like, why? You don't want to direct, you don't need the technical knowledge, you seem like I was already starting to write, like, you seem like you can generate pages, 
you know people in the industry, you're already making movies. If I was already making movies at 17, he said, I wouldn't have gone to college, which I think anybody who wants to direct, wants to be a DP, who wants to work with some of the technical information that you have to have, absolutely go to university. Uh, but as far as screenwriters, I mean, I can tell you I work with screenwriters that have come out of USC and Oxford and Carnegie Mellon and screenwriters that have not gone uh, to university for film or screenwriting. Um, so yeah, so for me, the decision then was, why would I go? I'm, I'm already working. Why, do I, why would I put a pin in that? Um, I actually tried to go and audit some classes with the thought of maybe I'll go back after the script set up because frankly, like every writer out there, I felt you know like a complete fake and somebody was gonna find out that I couldn't write. So I went and audited a class, professor I was introduced to, um, and you know did some of the coursework waiting for him to tell me that I don't know what I'm talking about and this is really bad. And he ultimately asked me to come back the next semester as his teacher's assistant. Oh wow. And I felt like, I managed to fool you too. You don't get that, I don't get it. Uh, but at that point, you know, the script was getting set up and I was on my way to developing it. Um, you know, I do find that there are a lot of screenwriters that didn't get their information in the traditional manner, right? I have a lot of screenwriters that I work with that's, you know, have a master's and were teachers be long before they became screenwriters or were in advertising and took some classes at UCLA Extension or went to USC for architecture and ultimately learned screenwriting in programs like Script Anatomy or with Pilar Alessandra. Um, so I find that it, it takes all types with all different types of education. Mm -hmm. And so you, you really ended up learning in the trenches of development. Um, you, how many scripts would you say you read during your time in development? Oh my God, so many. I mean, I can't, in a week you would have to, I mean, the joke about development executives, right, is that they go home with a script of 50, a pile of 50 scripts and at the end of the week and they're like, I read 50 scripts. No, you didn't. You read like five pages or 10 pages of about 40 scripts and maybe dug in deeper to others. But I mean, we were reading regularly. I was reading regularly. There was always a pile. You know, I would say at least 10 scripts a week, like beginning to end. Um, so, I mean, hundreds, thousands. And now I still, I mean, all these years later, I still read all the time, even though my focus is career driven. But as a development person, you read all the time. You're conditioned to look analytically at material. Somebody sent me a script once right before I was heading on vacation quite recently and said like, I hope you take it on vacation with you and sit on your balcony and read it. <laughs> my brain doesn't shut off yeah. the work part when I look at screenplays from the time that I was doing so in development, right? You always look at it analytically. You always look at it, you know, you, you hope to forget the mechanics, but ultimately they show up as you're reading and analyzing because that's a big part of the job, understanding how a script works, what makes it work, what doesn't work, so yeah, read plenty. Yeah. Um, how, how important do you think that is for the budding screenwriter? I do think it's really important to read scripts and I think it's important to read current scripts. Um, I'll talk to writers every once in a while who will tell me like, oh, I just read Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Don't get me wrong, great script, but we're talking about 2003 and cinema has evolved since then. Because nobody is trying to emerge in a blank space, we are, you know, writers are trying to break in and work in a working, evolving, developing system. So it's really important to read scripts regularly and preferably current scripts um, to really understand what the industry is responding to, not responding to, what you like, what you hate. It's not say read it all to see how it's done and emulate it, but read it to understand where the industry is, what is getting responses, what is gaining traction, and where you fit in as a writer, right? You're not writing in a vacuum, you're writing as part of something, and so it's important to watch movies, watch TV shows, read scripts, re read a lot of them. With my ongoing clients, especially emerging writers, we try to get them to read a script a week at minimum. A script a week is 52 scripts a year. We're starting to talk about some volume here, and that's not writer's group scripts or classroom scripts or anything like that, but rather industry scripts. If you are trying to work in this industry, you have to understand what scripts are moving, what scripts are gaining traction, for good or bad. So you went from development to a quote-unquote normal job, but then the universe had other plans. Tell me about that. Absolutely. So I left development, I left production because I just, you know, just hurt my heart too many times calling writers and saying we're going to let your option lapse or we're letting go of the project or we're changing my mandates or we lost funding or whatever it was. I found that I was really really aching for the writers and it was just too much, right? I wasn't sleeping at night. I would 
not fun. I take things emotionally, um, or at least, I mean, I still do. Uh, let's not pretend otherwise, but I think I did that, that much more so as a younger woman. So I went to a normal job. Um, I got a job working with a database company called Studio System, um, which still powers the Studio System or some, some form of it. Um, that uh, is an industry database thinking like this will be very cut and dry, but it's consistent, it's dependable, it's technology, it's health insurance. Amazing. I will not be emotionally invested in every one and every zero. Um, but amazingly, within a year of me being there, the company merged with another company baseline and I got a knock on the door. Um, and one of my bosses saying, hey, so we heard that you were actually in development and writing before and we have this little shingle script shark, which I was not familiar with because I was very much like, I'm done with the writing thing and I'm over it and I'm over writers and it's too much for me and I can't handle it. But the knock on the door came and at that point you just look at it and you go, okay, it's, it's not me, it's the universe. I am here for the ride and I will go. And so I started running scriptshark.com um, that was a very successful coverage brand at the time. But I found that writers were still kind of running into the same problems that I saw them having in development, just not knowing the industry or having clear guidance or whatnot. Um, and so very quickly I took this job that was supposed to be a normal, not unsentimental job um, and started the workshop that I did with Final Draft and that the New York Times sponsored for us that was all about the business of screenwriting, right? All the mistakes that I was afraid that I would make as an emerging writers and then I saw writers make when I was in development were kind of brought into this workshop to help educate writers. Again, I was still thinking that it's, you know, somewhat detached and non-sentimental, but the truth of the matter is that that was the gateway that got me into coaching writers from a career perspective full time. So little did I know, but the universe had other plans. Yeah. So tell me about your, your coaching practice. Sure. What you want to know. Um, <laughs> uh, well, what do you do? Who do you take? Um, like, what kind of success stories have you seen? So I've been career coaching for a long time now. And for the record, I didn't know it was a job. Just for the record. I mean, I did that workshop. Um, that we took all over the country. And I remember when the person who became known as Client Zero called me after a Boston workshop and said, can I hire you and how much do I pay you? And I was like, hire me for what? I don't understand. Um, but it started kind of gaining steam on its own. And, and soon enough, I had about 20 writers that had come to me through word of mouth, uh, both in LA and, and remote. Um, that wanted me to work with them. And one night, two of them ganged up on me at dinner and said, like, you have to do this. And I kept going, like, what is this? I don't understand. Like, there's no there there. Um, so I really started coaching as one of those things, like, but what if there is something there? I live, you know, by a motto of no regret. And so I was like, okay, I'll start this thing. It'll fail because nobody's really doing it. So clearly there's no need for it. And then I'll go get another normal job and everything will be fine. Um, but little did I know within two and a half months, It'd be, it kept me as busy and paid me as much as a full-time job, uh, which implied there might be need in the market. Now, I work with writers that are everywhere from starting out to A-list studio writers, showrunners, et cetera, et cetera. My heart has always been with writers breaking in, but I'm very fortunate that some pretty big writers have opted to keep me on the journey with them, which is pretty amazing because I get a front row seat to their careers and to their journeys. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really lucky that at the end of the day, my successes are because of the people that have chosen to come to work with me um, and that have allowed me in. So, you know, I've met writers at UCLA extension classes who are now show running and selling shows to Netflix and running shows for Apple and doing all of those things. Um, you know, it, it's been great and it's been an embarrassment of riches by all means. And I'm, I'm just a very, very fortunate person because people opted to come work with me who were hard workers and talented who wanted to allow me some input um, and chose to keep me around to help them and support them. Um, so, you know, it's the most amazing thing today is having those days where I'm talking to back-to-back -back five writers who are now working, right, getting paid for a living, and remembering that all five of those writers, when I met them, were just starting out. Wow. Um, and once in a while, I'll have those days that is just that day where you're like, oh yeah, this guy's off to do a movie over here, and this person is now, 
you know, taking this book and adapting it with this really big director, yada, yada, yada. And you just feel really excited to know that you've been allowed on this journey and what a magnificent journey it's been. And sometimes it's a hard journey. And it's definitely, I don't know anybody who's had a journey of screenwriting, whether it's TV or features, that's always been entirely blessed. Um, but it's, it's having the trust of people, having the respect of people who opt to come to me and include me in what's happening to them and rely on me in some ways is incredibly rewarding. It sounds like you occupy, occupy a very similar space to a manager. Um, so, how is it different? So here's the thing, like before, before the, you know, kind of 2008, which is a moment in time where a lot of things changed for the industry, where it was, you know, at the kind of the end of the spec market, it was one of those things where the market had collapsed, the model of how we did film changed. Most studios at that point, other than Disney, were um, publicly owned, which changed the mandates. Up until that point, managers could have 10 or 15 clients on their list and make good money, right? When the spec market was what the spec market was in the, in the 90s, and you're selling scripts for a million bucks a pop or 1.5 or 750 on a regular basis, right? That, that is what a hot spec goes for or went for at that time, and they were selling in droves. It was a different scenario, right? So a manager could allow himself or herself to have 10 or 15 clients that they manage and they manage very closely and they work with them day in day out after 2008 we got to a place where suddenly in order to make their nut and this is not for me a much smarter friend dallas Sonier, who was a manager producer um said to me that now we have to work twice as hard for half the money um and it's not untrue from everything that i've seen sure there are the jewel rosses of the world right barry jenkins is manager he's a brilliant guy and a wonderful dude and i've known him forever um, and really deserves to be the tastemaker that he is, sure, he can keep it down to 10, 15 clients uh, because he reps Barry Jenkins and Matt Aldridge and the list goes on and on. But for the most part, it is a volume game now. And so I find that even some of my bigger writers are not getting the kind of attention from representation that they would have gotten 20 years ago or 15 years ago. So my end of things is more in the kind of day-to-day -day care um, of my clients, and that spans everything on the professional level from relationship management to pitch prep to doing a lot of things to kind of support the writer as they need. The reality is that I've also been fortunate to be in a position where people change reps now a lot more than they used to, right? We don't see as many long, unchangeable relationships. I think I have one client that has been with the same team for the entirety of his career. And he's, he's a very big writer, um, and his team takes very good care of him. Um, but there's a lot more changeover now. Um, there's a lot more fight for resources. There is less attention from representation. So I think that that allows somebody like me to be more of a constant. Mm. Um, and, and that is certainly something that has added to that situation, to that trust that things change, but I'm always there, and I'm on the side of the writer, and the, the bottom line for me is that, you know, I don't care who you are, all my clients are equal, right? All my clients pay me the same. There isn't um, a pay grade, right? There, there isn't like suddenly, because you make this much, you pay me that much, and therefore you're that much more important. Um, so I try to give all of my clients, and I'm sure that I'm not perfect in it, but I try to give them all the time and attention that they deserve equally. And I think they all know it and respect it. I mean, my clients, I will say it again, and I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but the success of my, my practice and what I do is purely because of the writers that have chosen to work with me, their qualities as writers and their qualities as people. Um, they all respect my time. They all are thoughtful with me. They all understand that I work with many different writers at one time. Somehow we make it all work and you know, I talk to writers all day long and often in the car on the way to pick up my daughter. Um, but again, the, the reason I've been, been able to be successful is them. Very, very cool. We're going to take a quick break right now to hear from our sponsors, and we'll be back to talk about getting it right. AVGearGuy.com uses state-of-the-art technology to bring new life to old films and videos, like the Lost Betty White series Pet Set, which they recently restored for its 50th anniversary. They can apply the same technology to your documentary, film and video archive, and family videos. Visit avgearguy.com for details. 
DrivingFootage.com provides 360-degree driving plates for film and TV. Over 14,000 clips are available for locations all around Southern California, with more areas coming soon. A fully equipped camera car with height-adjustable rig is available for custom shoots. Visit DrivingFootage.com for details. Full disclosure, I do own both of these companies. By supporting them, you help me bring new in-person video interviews to you. So getting it right, an insider's guide to a screenwriting career, which is an excellent book, but it's not a how-to about screenwriting, as we mentioned before, um, but rather having a career as a screenwriter. Um, why is that important? Why is this book necessary? So, you know, it goes back to all those years ago when I finished a script, right? And I was like, eh, I think it's good, but... And I ultimately felt, I know these three producers, if nobody likes it, like, what do I do then? And that's really where this book comes from. What do you do? You finish a script, what do you do, right? There are so many scripts that get registered every year. There are all these competitions. There are all of, like, an overwhelming amount of options, where to spend your money, what's worthwhile, what is not. I wanted to really start thinking about screenwriting and each screenplay or pilot as a building block to a writer's career, as opposed to just writing the script. Frankly, when I came into this, I felt like, there are more than enough people that work in the how-to space, um, and some really great people. I mean, from Pilar Alessandro, Jen Grisanti, Tanya Bhattacharya, there's Ruth Atkinson and Corey Mandel, and there are plenty of names that do what they do really well. I didn't feel that there was a need for another one, uh, not to mention like the Michael Higgs of the world, who are also great. Um, I didn't feel like I had something unique to contribute in that, but I felt like nobody was talking about what you do with the script once you're done with it. And what sort of decisions do you make for the script? What decisions do you make for yourself as a writer, for the career that you want? That is a different question and a different conversation. Um, but those are incredibly important for anybody who wants to have a career, right? If you just want to write one script, throw it out there, see what happens, maybe get it produced, that's one thing. If you want a career, that is a different conversation. And so I wanted to start providing writers with some options of what to do, where to go, how to think about it from a career standpoint, um, because it's necessary, right? We are no longer in the time where writers like Ayn Rand, who broke in as a screenwriter way back when, that's what moved her to California. Um, I'm talking about Atlas Shrugged, um, Ayn Rand. Back then, you wrote a script in the comfort of whatever, your living room, your kitchen, your bedroom, you put it in an envelope, you sent it to Hollywood, and if you got a check, Hollywood chose to do it. And if you didn't, they didn't, right? That system doesn't exist anymore. Um, you know, the world has become so much smaller because of the internet, but seemingly it's become that much harder because so many more people are trying to break into screenwriting. So the question for me was really, what do you do? Um, and so even though I felt like there isn't a how-to guide to breaking in, right? That doesn't exist. Anybody who tells you there's a formula, unfortunately, is lying. And I can tell you that every person that I work with broke in in a different way. Nobody has an identical story, but I wanted to provide some input and some insight into how to start carving your own professional path beyond the writing itself. Well, one, one of the things I loved about your book um, is that, uh, you, I mean, first of all, I, I, I could tell from the pages that you have coached a lot of different situations because you, you had several sections in the book that were very much if this happens, do this. If this happens, do this. If that happens, do this. But if this happens, here's how you approach it. And, and it was very much not just here's the one thing you do, but more how do you deal with various types of situations that you might encounter? Yeah, listen, I'm, uh, I'm a big fan of options. Um, I remember my friend Alex, I was coming to New York to teach a workshop, and my friend Alex and I were meeting up for dinner and she said, well, let me give you options. And then she named a French restaurant. I was like, okay, options really don't matter anymore because you named a French restaurant. But this is kind of my outlook on things that you have to, you want to have choices. I don't want to tell anybody, this is your only way you got to do X. I do believe there's an X and a Y and a Z and a one and a two and a three. And you have to make the choices of what you are comfortable with, what falls within the reasonable for you. And that's going to be different for everybody. So, you know, I do... I do try to lean on my coaching experience. And I think that one of the benefits that come along with me for good or bad is that I talk to writers all day, every day, right? I'm not trying to be a director. I'm not trying to be a screenwriter. I'm not trying to be a producer. I'm trying to be a career coach. Um, and that means that I am drawing new information every day 
right, on an average day, I'll have between six and eight sessions. Um, and so from that, I cultivate options. And there are always new options, and there are always new things to explore, to try, to consider, or to write off and say, yeah, that, that used to work, it doesn't anymore. Try a different option. So, you know, I do think that there are many, many different paths to breaking in, and I do think that every writer needs to find the one that they are comfortable with and they can kind of buy into as far as this is what I'm trying to do and this is what the plan that I believe in. You, it's funny because as much as we think that people just sort of get where the industry's at, I think that, that um, if you look back in history a little bit, I, I grew up in, in the time of Shane Black and you, you hear in the trades about these massive deals that are happening, spec sales just wrote something on spec and boom, there's a million dollars. Studios are fighting over it and, and all that kind of thing. And out of that was born this massive um, industry of, of helping people um, write their screenplay. And so we have this situation where there's close to 500,000 screenplays written every year and there's only about 200 movies that are made. No, Most there's a lot more movies than that that are made in the indie. You if you include indie, indies, Netflix, it's, it's more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, there's, there's a lot more. I, I'm speaking more of the, the sort of bigger budget, the studio level, studio level. But, but say, say we include those, those, and maybe there's 500. So 500 out of 500,000 are are made. And let's face it, most of those 500 are from established writers. And listen, not not to be completely depressing about it, but many of those are developed internally. And I think that that's where people lose sight of how writers make money in the industry, right? There's this idea of the spec sale, right? Everybody wants a spec sale. Everybody wants a, a bidding war. Sounds great. Um, and it's great to watch when they happen, but they're so rare and they're so few and far between. And usually they will happen with more established writers. Um, but the reality of how feature writers specifically make money today, and TV writers for the record, is doing what has become termed writing pages. Um, right, and that's writing assignments, and writing assignments can be everything from adapting a book to writing the movie to the pitch that you sold to doing a page one rewrite on an existing project to doing punch up. Or as a writer in a writer's room, it's not an open writing assignment, but you're still serving somebody else's project, somebody else's creative endeavor. Um, so the reality is that there are a lot more than 200 working writers, right, for those scripts that are getting made or 500 working writers, right? The reality is that today there's actually more of a career path as long as you are comfortable wrapping your head around the idea that some of that work, if not most or all of that work, will come from servicing other people's projects, mm. which is not a bad thing. I mean, I can yeah. tell you I work with one writer who has somehow managed to make a living for the last six years, a very good living. Um, writing specs and he came to talk to me because he was like I need assignments the pressure is too much one of these won't sell and what will happen then um, so he came to me very much with the idea of like this is exhausting the pressure is always on and at some point I will stop selling and he's right at some point he will stop selling or he'll write the thing that won't sell it's natural that happens to everybody but there are assignments I can tell you I have writers that are pitching on assignments all the time for very big companies um, they're the reality is that Hollywood always developed internally. Some very, very big films were developed from producer concept, development concept, um, you know, an article that somebody found. Um, you know, I think the, the kind of the colder way to put it for screenwriters is you're, you're creating a product that nobody asked for. You can convert people to want it. Um, but the spec market is not what it used to be because of all the changes that happened in 2008. And it's really, I mean, it's interesting because the spec market was born out of the writer's strike of 1987, right? When all of these writers who were previously on contract were suddenly sitting at home writing and then flooding the space with great material from name big writers. Um, the spec market itself, the first big spec sale was a William Goldman uh, script, which was... Uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, um, it was frowned upon writing on spec prior to all of that. I mean, writers had contract jobs. Um, the very first spec script sale was 1938, and the movie didn't do well and, and you know, kind of took away the idea of, of um, opening up a spec market. But the reality is that most of the stuff that sold in the 90s didn't go on to, make, to get made. 
most of the buying parties during that time were privately owned. So studios were privately owned and they were buying with very different mandates. Um, today, we're still, I mean, I have writers selling pitches and selling scripts and it does happen. I wouldn't say it happens all the time. Um, the industry just looks different. There's a lot more that's happening as well. I mean, we have everything that is being done on the feature side from studio down to indie, you know, from Net Netflix to Hallmark um, that are buying up a lot of content. And then we have the insane growth of television that just won't stop, yeah. which is great. Don't get me wrong. I don't want it to stop. But it's, it's significant. Yeah. Well, and, and at the same time, even though um, that may be a sobering view um, to somebody who, who wants to break in, at the same time, your book also says um, people are breaking in constantly. All the time. All the time. Mm -hmm. And so, and so um, but in order to do so, there's, it's, a, it's different than it used to be. It used to be that you just wrote, and that was it. But today, it's, it's also about working smart and branding yourself and networking. Talk about that part of it. Sure, I mean, so just uh, to reiterate your earlier point, people break in all the time. My job is a really happy job. Like, yes, my heart breaks for every time that somebody comes really close and doesn't get there, but I also get to celebrate a lot. And that's because people are, bre are breaking in and, and you can see it evidenced in the growth of representation, right? Representation companies are building up right now. A lot of people have left agenting, not at mass, but some big name agents have move, moved away from agenting to management. That implication is that there's growth. Um, but it used to be in the 90s that you wrote a script, and if the script was good enough or even conceptually interesting enough, it would sell, and it would sell quickly. And then it really wouldn't matter if you wrote another one or not because the sale happened quickly enough. You didn't require a significant time investment to build up your brand and your, you know, your name and your reputation. You wrote the thing, you sold the thing, and if that's the only thing you've ever done, great. You still made half a million dollars and you know, your rep got 50,000 and everybody's happy. Today, it's a lot more about the career writer for those writers who want to work within the system. Again, I mean, I have no problem with writers that are like, I don't want to work in the system. I want to go and I want to produce my own film. Or I wrote one thing and I want to see it produced. There are different paths to that, but that's not a writing career. Today, it really is about the writer understanding their own brand. What do they do? What do they do best? How would they be talked about? How does your agent talk about you? How does your manager talk about you? What is the brand in your writing? And it's not just, I write horror, I write genre, I write comedy, I write whatever. It's drilling down into the themes that speak to you, the type of characters that show up in your work. Um, you know, really understanding what you do and what you do well, because at the end of the day, other people will have to know how to talk about you. And if you don't know how to talk about yourself, that may be a challenge. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really important to understand what you offer as a business, right? Writers offer products and services. Products are creative works, screenplays, pilots, whatever it is. Services is what we talked about earlier, open writing assignments, staffing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, as most writers make their living providing writing services, you have to understand what you can be offered up for, right? Nobody will say, you know, I just made a great writer and he's just great across the board. They're gonna call an executive and say, I know you're trying to do horror with a heart. I just read this guy, he's amazing. So much harder than this horror, I cried. You won't believe it, you have to read him, right? It's not gonna be about the guy that does everything. It's about going to be about the guy that does something really well, the representation then knows what to do with them. You know, it goes back to Apple computers. For 20 years, they were the personal home computer. That was their shtick before they made TV shows and ran our nest and our ring and our whatever else they're running now. I don't think ring is theirs yet, but could be wrong. But they really diversified and a writer gets to diversify once they are on a path. But initially you really have to understand what it is that you are offering. I am great with X, right? X can be, you know, writing strong female character in traditional male genre. Um, then your rep is able to talk about you and to advocate for you effectively. Mm, very cool. And you also mentioned needing a team. Um, first of all, what kind of team do you need and how do you build that? So a writer's team is going to evolve over time, right? In the beginning of a writer's journey, the team may include, you know, a couple of writer friends who are really great with notes and a group of writers they commiserate and celebrate with. Um, and you know, potentially a writing instructor or a consultant they, they work with or a reader they get notes from. Then the writer is going to start building their more traditional team, which will usually start with a manager, 
um, or a lawyer. Usually an agent comes onto the game a little bit later in today's atmosphere. It starts with a manager who just has more runway for discovery. Um, so they will start with a manager who will then help them develop their market ready material, whether it's an existing screenplay or a new, a new concept, be it a screenplay or a pilot. Um, then when the time is right, the manager might introduce them to a lawyer if there's a deal on the table, or they might say, you know what, I think we can take this really wide. I can use the help of an agent here. Or you wrote a sample that I think really positions you for staffing. Staffing is traditionally more of an agency game. And I think that there's, you know, there are all of these reasons that an agency would want to pick you up at this stage. Again, agents usually get, up, get involved later. Um, but for me, in my experience, it usually starts with strong management. I'm a big fan of managers for emerging writers and what uh, the right manager can do. You know, it's the idea is that a writer can develop and based on the talent that they come into this game with, can take themselves pretty far, but a manager is meant to then take them further, right? And take them deeper into the industry and make those introductions that then help erect a career. And if you're lucky, hopefully, you get to keep all of your team or part of your team around you. And that becomes kind of the, your business leads. Um, that, that becomes the people that you, sh you should sit down with and say, what's the plan? What's the strategy? I'm here. I want to get over there. How do I do that? What do I need? What do you need from me in order to help me get from here to there? Um, so in a perfect world, the team and the writer work in unison with the understanding that the team serves as business leads, as kind of CEO and, G and GM of the business, um, while the writer is the genius behind it. Mm -hmm. Well, something, something uh, you mentioned in your book, it really reminded me of, um, I had an interview with Sean Ryan a few months ago, and he wasn't always the Sean Ryan we know today in terms of his writing. When he started out, he, he was sharing how he kept on submitting scripts that were getting passed over, passed over, passed over, and he asked his agent to um, to send him a, a sample script that had been bought so that he could compare against his own writing and see what the difference was. And he learned that um, it wasn't enough to be good. It wasn't enough to be good enough that you really had to go from good to great. Yep. And, and it involved a much higher level of um, scrutiny in his own writing. And talk about how important that is. It does take excellence. Um, you know, I do think that writing is hard and takes a lot of effort and it's a very iterative process. And I understand every writer who gets to a point and who just says, okay, I'm done. I'm just done. I've done 17 drafts on this and notes seem to be fine and fine or good enough. It's just not going to do it because you are competing with good, with, with great, not just with good. And, and, you know, I don't like to pit people against each other, but it is a competitive field and we have to acknowledge that. And because of that, that's one of the reasons so important that writers read and understand what is the level that is the level of writing, the level of execution that is being looked for there. So, you know, it's really important to get people in your life who will, who are smart, who understand story, who, whose taste level you kind of match up with, um, and who will challenge you to write your best work. I'm not b a believer in that it's good enough, get it out there, unfortunately. Um, because I find that we're no longer in a time where you went on concept. I do find that now it's all about execution, right? It's all about how do you execute on the page. Once you prove that, then you will be up for assignments. Then you will be up for staffing in a room. Then the doors will open. But first and foremost, it is about execution. It is about telling stories that are emotionally resonant, that impact the reader, that are original, that reflect the mandates of the industry, which is a very difficult thing to do, especially when you're told it's a writing sample. Um, but a, a script has to do a lot. The good news is that there are scripts that do this all the time, right? It's hard work, but writers get there, and it's just really important to allow people input into your work who you trust, who understand your vision, and who can challenge you to be better. And that's the thing. I don't think the writer should take any note from anybody at any time. I think you should scrutinize the notes that you're getting. I think that the writer is the champion of the story, and you know what story it is that you're trying to tell, and whether or not the notes that you're being given service the story or not. And I'm talking about original content here, not anything that's developed on assignment, because that's a different thing. Um, but I think that it's the writer's job to champion the story to its best form. 
not everybody's going to love it. Um, you know, when writers of mine take new work into the marketplace, my question to them is always, are you ready to be rejected on the merit of this script? Because you will be rejected. There is no question. I mean, a writer of mine sold a script for $1.5 million this time last year. Wow. He didn't make quarterfinals in the nickel, okay? So it doesn't make them wrong. It just means that rejection is part of it. Yeah. I mean, Nick Yarborough, who wrote Rosemary Kennedy years ago, the script was around. The script was, I think, semi-finalist in the nickel and didn't get any traction until it did. A bunch of agents and managers passed on him. You know, it's, it's a famous kind of trade story, not a client of mine, um, but a great story nonetheless, where you know that people have passed on this material, so you know that rejection is built in. Every writer that I've had sell something and fortunately have you know, been privy to seeing many of those, that was passed on by somebody, I promise you, if not many somebodies. Um, so you have to know that you've done the work to have the conviction in it because you will be rejected. And you have to believe in the level of execution in your work and preferably have it confirmed by people that you trust that are not your mother, your brother, your spouse, your child, no matter how brilliant they are, if they are not Aaron Sorkin, they're not gonna help us in the scenario. Mm. And now I, I do want to mention, even though it's not a how-to about screenwriting, yet you do have a section that you talk about some of the things that make a reader recommend your script um, and sort of what, um, what elements that a reader might be looking for. Say, for instance, strong idea, active protagonist. Um, talk about some of those things that, that really make a script stand out to you. Um, the writer's voice, first and foremost, and, and its voice is kind of like porn. Right, you can't describe it exactly, but you know it when you see it. Um, when I read a voice on the page that is really unique, I know half a page in that that's what I have. Um, so first of all, that's always, always gonna make me curious. Um, emotional resonance in the work that, if you're able to pull that off in a script, if you're able to impact the reader emotionally with emotions other than complete annoyance. Um, and I say that jokingly, but you know, really kind of move the reader to feel something that's gonna take you pretty far. Um, you know, and, I, and because of that, I think it's really important to ask yourself when you're writing something, what do I want my reader to feel? When do I want them to feel it? What do I want to have stimulate those feelings? Yes, we need an active protagonist and yes, we need meaningful stakes and yes, we need meaningful ex escalations. All of those things that are out there are absolutely tried and true. Um, but I think most of all of that should coalesce to give the reader an experience when we stop looking at the page count and we're just on that ride. Then we want to know the writer. We want to talk about the script. We want to know, you know, what else is the writer working on? Mm. And speaking about what else, you also mentioned how important it is to keep up with industry news, podcasts, um, online communities. Um, why is that important? Because you're coming into, as, as an emerging writer, you're coming into a working, evolving, developing industry that is dynamic and ever-changing, right? There's no way to cram for it. Um, and so it's important to know the world that you're coming into, right? It's, it's, if you're going into a new land, you're going to figure out the language that they speak and you're going to understand what you're going to eat. Um, and if you're allergic to bread, you're likely not gonna go to France really fast if it's all about the food. Um, but you're going to have some understanding of that world. And it is about understanding this world because the world and all of its changing dynamics is what's making movies and television shows, right? So understanding what's happening, what, how it's happening is really important. There's also, you know, there is no kind of point in time business biography. Right, here's everything that happened to entertain, in entertainment to bring us to this point. Um, it's a very busy industry with a lot of different areas and you know, we're talking right after the IATSE strike got sat settled and we have the story that came out of the horrible story out of New Mexico about rust and gun issues on set and live ammo on set. And, and everybody firing their agents earlier. That was, you know, that was April 2019. Yeah. Um, and the battle between, you know, 2020 was a battle between the, a the, sorry, the WGA and the AMPTP, the Association of Motion Picture and, Tele and Television Producers. Well, that can got kicked down to 2023, yeah. right? So we're going to be right back there. But having context for all of that is really important. And there, the problem is that there isn't a resource to go to and say, tell me everything that's happened in the entertainment industry in the last 20 years. There's just a lot of it. Like, 
Nobody talks right now about the Sony email hack, right? But it was an important thing that happened in this industry. So keeping up with what's happening with it, you don't have to deep dive into every story, um, but knowing the culture of it, knowing what's happening in it, knowing what's getting made, knowing what's not getting made, um, while I'm not at all a fan of, of chasing trends, knowing what those trends are is incredibly important. You have to remember that professionals like to work with people that could be other professionals, right? Even if you're an emerging writer. So if you come equipped with knowledge, you're already showing up as a professional. If you know the companies they're talking about, you won't know everybody, um, but knowing the companies that make con the content that you want to make, knowing what hap what's happening in that landscape, knowing what's happening with movie theaters at the moment, knowing all of those things is going to be incredibly helpful to your ability to show up as a professional. Well, and, and you made a very interesting point in your book. Um, I've always heard that uh, it's very important in a showrunner meeting, like a, an interview to, uh, to get on a TV staff, that they want to know as much um, that you're a good writer as you're a good person to be around because they're going to be hanging around with you in, in the writer's room. But um, your book really impressed. I, I don't remember anybody ever mentioning this for a feature writer, that that would also be important. Listen, I have a writer right now who was just offered a studio job on that's that's an adaptation. And the reason that well, I mean, the writer's a great writer, came up with a great take. So let's just be clear on that. But when the executives called representation to say we want to offer the writer the job, they specifically said she's been a delight. She's taken notes so well. She turned things around so efficiently. She's always so great in pitches. Half of that is about what she's bringing to the room as a person. Do we want to work with you? Are we going to give you notes? How are you going to take them? You're always going to get notes. It's not to say you're going to be agreeable and roll over. It's saying you're going to take the notes. You're going to think about the notes. You're going to try and apply them. You're going to try and turn something around that is appealing to us, that meets our needs. But, but you're going to do it in a manner that makes us look forward to your calls as opposed to want to dodge them. Um, and so it is an interpersonal relationship. Mind you, now a lot of it is happening on Zoom, but it is about the person. Um, you know, TV is more so about the person than features, no question. Um, we are in a time where we're very busy trying to connect the story to the story writer. So those personal anecdotes that connect to the, the writer to the project, be it a feature or, or a TV show, is, are incredibly important. But it's also about, do I want to be in, in TV in a room with you or on Zoom with you eight hours a day, and that's not fun if somebody's not part way to being a pleasure. Uh, but it's true in features as well, because there are going to be battles, yeah. right? There are going to be clashes. There are going to be things that you don't agree with or frustrations that you have or the development has with you or producer has or talent comes in and throws a wrench in everything. They want to know that they want to fight those battles with you. Mm. How do you cultivate that? Um... I think that a lot of it is about showing up as the writer that you want to be. A lot of it is about learning how to take notes, how to embrace notes, how to see notes as an opportunity um, so that you're not resisting them um, and coming from a defensive place. It's not about being the most charismatic or dynamic person in the room. There's absolutely no need to do that. But we all know how to behave ourselves, mm -hmm. right? We all know the difference between you know, being correct, polite, um, thoughtful, or being arrogant and difficult to be with. And don't get me wrong, we all have that, those sides and they will come out at different times and that is a guarantee. Um, but I think it's, it's about sharpening those interpersonal relationships. Um, and I have writers who are very uncomfortable with other people, so they've gone and done improv um, or Toastmasters, or whatever it is that they could to just get a little bit looser, a little bit more comfortable. Improv is great for that because it's mm -hmm. all about thinking on your toes. Um, there are ways to do it. And if, if a writer feels that they're challenged in that way, don't run away from it. Put yourself in situations where you are taking notes and you have to figure out how to keep a smile on your face because the person on the other end worked really hard to give you these notes. And you're going to be kind in your reception of the notes. You may not take all the notes. Uh, but you're going to take the notes thoughtfully and see them as an opportunity. Um, but it's also about making choices later in your career as a writer about, do I want to take notes from this producer, right? When a writer is offered a job, they don't have to take it. 
Um, and there can be arguments to not take a job if ultimately you're sitting with a producer or development exec and you're like, oh my God, this person's an idiot. They want me to turn my script in, into something that it never should be and it'll never get made. You have the ability to make the choice to not take that job, but you wanna do so kindly, right? You wanna do so thoughtfully so that they will come back to you with the next project and it might be the thing that you wanna work on. Um, okay, so, so let's, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, script con contests, because you mentioned that certain people had had various levels of traction from them. Um, what's what's your view on um, contests? Uh, and also, I would add on things like conventions and panels and things like that. Well, conventions happen less and less, especially now in the time of Zoom. Granted, Austin Film Festival just happened, and that keeps happening, which is great. Um, Panels tend to be more informative um, in what drives them, and I'm all for them. I'm all for learning as much as you can and listening to people who know better, who are further down down the road that you can learn from. So I'm a big fan of panels and things and like... And pitch fests, too? Pitch fests don't occur in the same way that they used to, right? Great American Pitch Fest is, I believe, gone. I don't know what's happening with London Screenwriting Festival, the fade-in event, Hollywood, the Hollywood Pitch Fest. I don't believe they were operational this past summer. Um, so the reality is that services, and I could be speaking out of turn, so don't get mad at me, uh, but services like Roadmap Writers and Stage 32 that offer online pitches um, have affected that business model because it used to be the only way that a writer could connect to the industry, um, not through contests or not through somebody who knows somebody on LinkedIn, um, was to come to LA once a year for you know two days or three days and do this pitch fest, these five minute pitches or eight minute pitches or whatever, whatever it was for whichever event and kind of go through this marathon of trying to gain traction for their material in a very limited amount of time. Now there's availability for these online pitches on services like Roadmap Writers and Stage 32 where you can pitch year round um, to managers and development execs and producers who are taking pitches through those services. Mm. Um, so I think it's definitely affected the business model there from everything that I can observe. Um, for me, those, I, I got in a fight once with one of the organizers of one such big events um, because I said that you're not, I went on record saying that you're not likely to sell a script in one of those events and was taken to task for that. And listen, I understand it. I think that when you have a business, you have to sell some promises, um, you know, especially when you're trying to operate something on that scale, on the event scale, where you need hundreds and thousands of people coming to you. Um, but you know, the reality for me with those pitch events, and now by extension with Stage 32 and Roadmap Writers, for me, what they are are pay-to-play networking opportunities. Right? They're opportunities to connect with people in the industry. Maybe they ask for your script, maybe they don't, but you are making connections and you can start building relationships from there. Um, you know, Austin Film Festival has a, you know, a pitch competition. Um, it's not really a pitch event to executives, but it's a great way to start talking to people in the industry and start trying to build relationships because it is a relationship-driven business. And for the record, with those pitch fests, that's a room full of willing industry execs. Yeah. Um, so I do think that there's a value there. It may not be the perceived value. But I, I did think that there was a value to that so long as you understand what the value is, right? So long as you embrace what it really is. Um, now, speaking of competitions, um, you know, if, if a writer is away from Los Angeles, again, completely not connected to the industry, a great way to, get, to build pedigree and get noticed is by winning or being a finalist in one of the very, very big competitions. Now, unfortunately, there aren't a million of those big, big competitions. Um, so there are many, many more com competitions out there um, than you know, what one would hope in terms of what they offer. For me, the valuable competitions are the ones that grant you some level of industry exposure, right? So competitions where representation is reading the final round, right? They're the final round judges. Um, I work with the final draft big break contest specifically because of the exposure that they give writers, and I think it's a huge opportunity. And we've had writers go on from that competition to, you know, set up material, to sign with representation, to, you know, list goes on and on and on, to do things in the industry and go, go on and have real thriving industry careers. So that's really what you're looking for with a competition. So, you know, years ago, not that many years ago, somebody called me and said, will you please promote my competition? The grand prize winner gets $1,000. Uh -huh. And my thing was like, $1,000 is not going to 
help them as far as the career. Yeah. Um, so I think it's very easy to spend way too much money on competitions, and it's up to the writer to be really thoughtful about what are the competitions that resonate as far as the industry. Now, when a writer is just starting out, there's absolute value to submitting your script to a small contest with, say, 200 entries or 500 entries and coming up in the top 10. It's an important thing for you as a writer to know that you're capable of that. So then you might want to go and spend on the bigger competitions. Um, but it is about, you know, Jewel Ross that I mentioned earlier once, once said to me, it is about proving that you're worthy, right? I don't like the word, but I get the sentiment of what he's saying. And the, the big industry contests have served as a conduit to identify those writers of the, you know, 500,000 scripts written or 60,000 scripts registered with WJ or whatever it is on any given day, how do we whittle that down, right, from the amateur sect? Uh, and by amateur, I mean simply non-working writers, writers that are not yet working professionally. Um, how do we whittle that down? How do we identify the writers that may deserve some industry attention? And the answer there for people, you know, that are on the lookout for new talent, that can be young managers that are coming up, it can be young, young producers, is the placement in these big competitions. And, and there is proof in it. I, and I mean, I've talked to many people on the podcast, um, TV writers, um, who, who got major breaks from these contests. They got representation. Mm -hmm. One of them got a $25,000 prize that literally was the thing that enabled him to move to L.A. and... Uh, and start a career here. So, so there's definitely huge value in those for sure. Absolutely. So in your book, you also, and I, and I did mention that there's specific advice for specific situations, but in particular, you, you have a lot of tips for dealing with discouragement and setbacks, which are inevitable. They um, are. Talk, talk about that a little bit. The pursuit of a screenwriting career, whether it's in features or television writing, is going to come chock full of frustrations and disappointment and doubt and... I think those are, are normal markers of the journey. Because of that, it's really important to have a support system around you that isn't just emotionally supportive, but understands the journey that you're on. Um, so I, you know, I'm a big fan of kind of writer support groups, other writers that you can commiserate with that will understand the significance of small wins that may not mean anything to anybody but you, and understand the disappointments that you go through so that you're not going through it alone. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I remember a writer called me once. He was like, well, I'm calling to tell you that I came in semifinals in the nickel. It's not going to mean anything to my family um, because they'll just ask me when, when is my movie in the movie theaters? But you know how hard it is to get to that. And I'm so proud of this moment and I'm really feeling great. Um, and it just so happens the writer at that point, now he's surrounded with people, um, didn't have a lot of writer friends, friends really understood, not wanted to understand, but really understood because they went through the same trials and tribulations, what those things meant. Um, and so I find it incredibly important to have a writer's community, um, which can be easily built through writing classes, through writing events. Um, I mean, there's so many forums online now, there's what's become known and loved as writer Twitter. People are connecting all the time and finding people that are compatriots in, in this journey. Um, is incredibly important um, to have people to commiserate with, to have people say, I'm having a bad day, and I feel like it's never going to happen, and I'm working really hard, and maybe I can't actually write. Um, to have people that know what it feels like, that can listen to you and understand it, can help talk you through it, can remind you um, of why you are bringing all of these things to the table and why they're, well, nobody's guaranteed anything, you are fighting hard, and so you're giving yourself the best chance to make it, um, I think all those things are really important. Writer community is one of those really underrated things that I can tell you that almost every single writer that I've seen break in has a really strong writer community behind them. Whether they're writers who've already broken in or haven't broken in yet, but who've been on the journey with them for some period of time and, and are, are really, I mean, for lack of better words, just in it with them. Mm, I think that's a really, really good point. Um, it, I think a lot of people are waiting for the thing that will will break them in. Um, say, for instance, there's a lot of talk in television writing about these writing fellowships, and there's this impression that that just because you're in a writing fellowship, that once you get that thing, that somehow you'll magically boop um, be on staff. And and there's 
there's some truth to it in the sense that they they sponsor they they provide half of the income for for the writer but it's Absolutely. not a guarantee by Listen, any stretch and, of the imagination and then covid happens yeah right i mean i have writers who have gone through the who've gotten into the programs who've gone through the programs who are like okay but have not been staffed yet and it's you know it's the reality of covid it's the reality of zoom rooms we are in a changing reality. Do I believe that those writers will eventually be staffed by their programs? Yes, I do. Do I have any guarantee that it will happen tomorrow or in a week or in a month? No, and, and I think that it's such a challenging journey, right? Because you can get into a fellowship and you can be right there and yet you're standing there and, and you know, you are a free resource in a room. Your first 20 weeks are paid for by, you know, by your program and yet you can't get in a room. It's incredibly frustrating. It's, you know, it's, it's crazy making. But it's the, you know, a lot of, of succeeding in screenwriting is an exercise in faith, mostly an exercise in faith in yourself and in your writing and the tenacity to keep fighting for it because you will hit these moments where you're like, but I'm right there. What is happening? Um, you know, I have a writer who, you know, came in, I think he won his category at final draft and couldn't get a script read to save his life. Now, it might have had to do with the fact that the content was way too close to a big studio franchise that is on installment 2005 or something. Um, but there always, not always, but there can be these moments where you feel like, I got the thing that everybody tells you you're supposed to get, and it didn't do anything. And that's incredibly difficult to stomach. Now, it's important to remember that other people did get there and got to, the ne to that next level, and apparently that wasn't the journey that was meant for you. I'm a big believer that you know the universe has its plan. Um, you have to show up, you have to help it along. Um, and so a lot of it is kind of letting go and kind of accepting that that wasn't the path for you apparently that day, might be tomorrow. Um, but because there are those disappointments, and trust me, I mean, I, my heart breaks for my writers all too often, which is why I couldn't do development because I wasn't allowed to be on the side of the writer. Um, and it, it breaks at different stages. It breaks when you work really hard for those fellowships to get in and you don't get a phone call. And yet you know that you put in a great application. It, it breaks when you come really close to your first staffing assignment and you know your agent gets a call that's really excited about something. It's between you and one other writer and the other writer gets it because you know they, they knew somebody who called somebody. There will be those disappointments, but every single one of my writers who is a working writer today who wasn't a working writer had those disappointments. I promise you. It is about the tenacity of sticking with it and believing in yourself and your craft and your own tenacity and your own drive to keep going. Not no matter what, but as long as, as this is what you want to do. So having the people that will help you through that. Yeah. Super important. And, and I think I think it's a good point to make that um, say for instance I I interviewed Keto Shimizu now She's an executive producer on um, Legends of Tomorrow. But when she started out, she went through the NBC Writers on the Verge program and did not get staffed right out of that program. But what she did do is she formed a writing group from the cohorts mm -hmm. of that program. So afterwards, they all reached out and said, let's get together. Let's form a writing group. We'll critique each other's writing. Um, and they got together for, for months. And it was through uh, a connection from that group that she got her first staff job on the Cape. Um, so I, th I think it's not necessarily the thing. Like say for instance, um, you you get into the, one of the film schools at UCLA or, or USC. Um, it's not just keeping your head down and going through the program. It's, hey, can I help you with your student film? Hey, can we form a writing group? Can reaching out to people and making use of the opportunities within that thing that may be a key going forward. Because fact of life is um, it's never that one straight path and you never know what your path is right it's only in hindsight that you can look back and go like oh so that was that okay um, but ever, I mean I can't tell you how many writers I've talked to over the years who said to me like I thought it was gonna be X but it ended up being Y doesn't make it less of the writers career or what they wanted to do but it's just a different path and I think that the writers that have the idea of, I know exactly how it's going to happen, those are the writers that shackle themselves to bad beliefs, yeah. right? So you have to be open to, the, to not knowing while also aiming to be as strategic and thoughtful about it and really planning for it and creating opportunities for yourself in the arena that you want to break into. Mm -hmm. And in that beginner's mind that is talked about a lot, um, I think that uh, also there's so many amazing careers in the industry 
um, to be open to maybe maybe you're not 100% well suited to this, but you might be a perfect fit for that. Absolutely. I mean, listen, I can't tell you how many writers I've worked with who, who came to me with the idea of I want X and they ended up not wanting X and they wanted Y. And I worked with somebody who all he wanted to do was be a big studio comedy writer. And he ended up writing Hallmark and Lifetime movies and is so happy. And there's nothing wrong in that, right? I, th I think that it's a right, really about understanding where you fit, where your best contribution can be, what makes you sing, not who cares what anybody thinks about it, um, and really going for it, right? That's what we're talking about because ultimately that's where you'll excel. When you are doing the thing that you are meant to be doing, you'll know. Um, you know, hopefully for those writers who are fighting for the writing, it will be the writing. But, you know, it's the process of learning writing, right? There's a lot of discovery to be done there. There's a lot of discovery of voice and of genre and what is your natural space. I can't tell you how many writers I've talked to over the years who started out like, oh, I thought I write in this genre and actually I'm really not good in a different genre. Or I thought I was this type of writer and I'm actually that type of writer and that shows up on the page, right? So the more you write, the more you put on the page, the more you're able to discover who you are as a writer. Very, very cool. Well, we're going to start to wrap things up here, but um, I think that's a good segue. Um, so with all that in mind, what do you think is, is the key to success for somebody who's starting out um, right now wants to be a screenwriter? Um, what, what's the most important thing that will, will make them have a successful career in the industry? Approach it as a career, not as a script. Um, don't get me wrong, I think it's incredibly important to focus in on the script, but have, have a point of view of the career that you want and how what you're writing will feed into that um, and how you'll build a career rather than write a script. You know, oftentimes people will say, like, when do, I, when do I come work with you? And my answer is always when you decide that you want this as a career as opposed to you want to sit at home and write a script. Many people will sit at home and write a script. Some will be better than others. There's nothing wrong with sitting at home and writing a script. But... If you want a career in screenwriting and you understand the business and you want to understand the business and you want to read scripts and you want to see how, you know, how the machine works, how the sausage is made, then approach it as a profession that you are attempting with all that it means rather than just writing the script. Don't get me wrong, writing the script and writing a great script is the most important first step that you can take. It cannot be discounted in any way, shape, or form. But you really have to start thinking about it as a business rather than just sitting at home and writing a script. Very, very cool. Well, that is a great place to end up. Um, I definitely recommend everybody buy this book. Um, getting it right is, uh, a, I think a lot of it is a, is a reference that you'll go back to again and again and again when you hit these situations and, and need to know what to do. Also, the, the things that, uh, that I talked about in terms of um, analyzing your story to get the most out of the story. Really, really great book. Um, your website is leejessup.com. On Twitter, you're Lee Z Jessup. As it turns out, yes. Yep. And, uh, and definitely, um, I suggest that people uh, look, look at you up in, on your website to see if there's a fit. Maybe you can, you can be a good fit for uh, helping people in their careers as screenwriters. Always happy to help. There is a very busy blog because apparently I can't stop saying things. So I try to offer up my blog as, as a resource. There's a lot of useful stuff there. So by all means, check it out. Yeah, very cool. And of course, you've been active on Twitter for a very long time. Um, and so uh, definitely follow Lee on Twitter as well. Thank you so much for taking this time. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, best love of luck to you and all your, um, do you call them students or clients? Clients, or clients? people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, hopefully, you'll have many, many more successes with it. Thank you. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm a very fortunate person to be in the position that I'm in. So, really appreciate you having me, giving me this time. And I hope everybody listens to everything that you record ever. Thanks so much. Please follow me on Twitter for the latest updates. At Gray Jones is my handle. Make sure to bookmark tvwriterpodcast.com and scriptmag.com. You can find the video version of this podcast at iTunes, Podbean, and on YouTube, make sure you do subscribe to all these places. Audio only, you can find us at iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or Pandora. And on Instagram, you can follow at TV Writer Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.